On this episode of AV Insights, we talk with Sean Wargo from Avixa as well as Hannah and Levin from Barco about the market for both Unified Communications and the entertainment segment. All that and more next on AV Insights. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Insights, Episode 1, Market Intelligence for Unified Communications. This is AV Insights. I'm your host, Tim Albright. Today, we're going to talk with Barco and Sean Wargo from Avixa about market intelligence when it comes to the UC as well as the entertainment segments. So first and foremost, uh, Hannah Page uh, from Barco. Welcome, ma'am. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Uh, a young man that I got to know a number of years ago and got to hang out with him in Cortric, uh, Levin Bertier. Welcome, sir. Hi. How are you doing? <laughs> Good. Uh, and Sean Wargo, uh, obviously from Avixa. Welcome, sir. Tim, always a pleasure. So, well, um, before we get started, I, I kind of want to get uh, the, the sense and the, the landscape from from Barco's point of view to understand which where which areas kind of each of you are going to focus on. Uh, so, Levin, we'll start with you. Uh, where are you inside inside Barco? And we'll ask kind of the same question to Hannah. Yeah. So, just to to situate Barco, we're a global AV, AV manufacturer developing networked visualization solutions for uh, for the entertainment enterprise and and healthcare industries. And as such, we are addressing a number of segments uh, within the company. There's 10 plus segments we are addressing. My segment is, is workplace. So that means uh, collaboration and visualization that goes into corporate spaces, ranging from lobbies all the way up to meeting rooms and, uh, and boardrooms. Okay. All right. We're going to get into some of those areas as, as they are obviously evolving uh, during this, this COVID pan- uh, pandemic. Hannah, same question for you. Where are you inside, inside Barco? I'm based in our entertainment division, and I am focusing on live events and broadcasts. Uh, so that's everything related to anything rental and staging and uh, broadcasts like TV studios, uh, etc. Mostly projection, image processing, and uh, LED solutions. All right, Sean, let's 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 kind of kick it off with with some of the market intelligence you guys have gotten for the for those areas. Uh, and I guess uh, no other reason except for the one of the things that, are, that is kind of top of mind. Actually, both areas are top of mind. But uh, you know, live staging and events as well as broadcasts. Where where are you guys finding some of those? What are you finding in, in those areas? Sure, Tim. Yeah. So we we've really been paying close attention, obviously, this year with the pandemic to see what the impact near and long term will be on our market. Uh, we we're done some research uh, starting right around in March just to ask our providers how they saw their businesses faring in light of shutdowns and cancel projects and all that sort of stuff that led us into our mid-year update for our industry outlook trends analysis forecast, which really hopes to size the opportunities within pro AV, pull it apart from a regional perspective, a geographic perspective, vertical market solution areas. I think the top line takeaway there is of course you would expect to see a major 2020 really the first that our industry has probably seen in quite some time, a decade perhaps or more. Uh, so we're seeing about a nine, eight, 9% decline from what was a peak year now in 2019, $259 billion that year as a global industry down to about $239 billion uh, this year. So I think the story um, that we're trying to, to explore with Barco and uh, similar companies is how that's actually impacting manufacturers and individual firms within this landscape, knowing that next year, 
we certainly look like we return to growth, but that we don't see true year over the true growth over the peak until 2022. So that's a real telling story of how uh, certainly steep the decline was and how gradual the recovery is, at least in total. And I think we, we highlighted and, and of course looking forward to exploring this with Levin and Hane about um, uh, the individual sectors and how they're faring. I think we all kind of intuitively know that places like live events, hard hit, you know, minus 20% according to our forecast for the year, hospitality, retail, uh, other vertical markets that have fared uh, less, less well, but the shining light in the industry being collaboration, conferencing collaboration, content distribution. Uh, so I think that's, that's where we'd love to start is just leaving. If you can tell us kind of from the Barco perspective, hearing that and the kind of rate of decline that's happened in the market, what you guys are seeing from your experience and how that's uh, impacted company planning uh, results, all that sort of stuff would be a great place, especially in this conference and collaboration and content distribution area. Uh, would be interesting to explore. Yeah. So what what we've observed, and and I think that is like uh, like many manufacturers. So the the moment when uh, when the pandemic started, uh, AB World is, uh, is is a lot of project business, and our sweet spot is uh, is the ClickShare product range that that actually goes into into meeting rooms. So uh, with people no longer allowed to go into the office, installers no longer uh, no longer allowed to go into the office, you, you immediately see a lot of projects uh, getting delayed. And I think that is that is something that was clearly uh, reflected in, uh, in your Pro AV business index uh, that that you're publishing uh, every month. And uh, I, I think we've uh, we've seen the same. So uh, from one day to the other, everybody started working from home, and uh, I was no longer in uh, in the office or no longer in the workplace. Since then, uh, step by step, things are are recovering. And uh, one one of our uh, information sources that we're using there next to uh, next to your valuable uh, data from from Avixa is actually what is called the the Google Mobility Index, and that's that's an index showing how many people are still uh, working from home and how many are actually on the road heading into the office. Mm-hmm. And uh, that one is is, is showing a, a mixed picture, I would say, today, in the sense that you have a number of countries. Germany is uh, is one of the examples there where uh, it's it's back to 80% of, uh, of pre-corona levels of, uh, of commute and, and heading into the office. Whereas in other countries, other regions, it's, it's still a lot lower. But on average, it's like 35% lower. Um, and if you add all of that up, I, I would say, I mean, we're, we're uh, making it uh, through the corona pandemic step by step. We, we are uh, consulting a lot of reports there. We are managing and monitoring our sellout. And, and step by step, the, the, the recovery is taking place there, uh, but with, with huge regional differences. Uh, I think in, in that sense, uh, Europe is, is ahead of, uh, of, of North America. Because in Europe, many companies are back in the office like either 50% of the time or, or with 50% occupancy, whereas uh, that's, that's still uh, far away, I understand, in, uh, in both US, uh, especially the US and, and to a certain extent also in, uh, in Canada. Mm-hmm. So are you finding with, with that mixed landscape across the regions and uh, varying returns to office, even in those markets where um, the say in the US where we're still very much remote is is a click share type of technology more 
less important in that kind of an environment. You know, there's theory, of course, that the spending shifts towards supporting uh, remote, remote employees through just simple laptop technologies, cameras, microphones, et cetera. Uh, but we're wondering about that hybrid model where you've got some returning to office. Um, how does that change the investment in the space in the office? Uh, and how do providers, of course, uh, integrator installers stay in front of that um, in, in either case? Yeah, well, you're, you're right there, Sean. So when, 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 when the pandemic hit, the, the first reaction of, of, of people or, or the first reaction of, of IT staff was, okay, we got to enable everybody to work from home. So we're going to roll out uh, conferencing solutions, UCNC platforms, the likes of, uh, of Zoom, Teams, WebEx, and so on. So that's, that's the first instinctive reaction. And, and the funny thing is, in the first weeks after the lockdown, I would almost say, people were sort of relishing it and, and they felt happy and they had never been so productive and so on. But now, six months into the pandemic, you, you start picking up a lot of signals. Uh, I've, I've picked up reports from banks where, where they want people back in the office because they feel isolated. They're missing out on promotions and so on. And also recently, I, uh, I, I consulted some, some, some work from uh, a professor from Stanford University, uh, Nick Bloom, uh, and, and he did research act actually into uh, the ROI of, of working from home. He did an experiment for nine months in, in China, that was back in 2015. But long story short, in the beginning, profits were steeply rising for the company in question. However, nine months later, uh, things weren't turning out as well because of, uh, of elements like feeling uh, alienated, not being connected anymore, missing out on innovation and so on. So that being said, th this is like the journey we're seeing now also through the pandemic, whereby you get this shock reaction of everybody going to start working from home. But now you see people are, are finding uh, a new balance, or, or I would say the, the, the balance is, is sort of redressing. And we know that there's going to be this mixed back hybrid working, some of us in the office, some of us working from home, and that's requiring certain technology solutions. And a key solution there is, for instance, uh, the, the new ClickShare conference, because that one allows you to just walk into the meeting room with your laptop and host your conference there and wirelessly connect to the camera. You gotta imagine you're, you're doing all these conferences from your laptop, the, the camera and microphone of your laptop have limited reach. The moment there's two, three people around the laptop, it's not working anymore. So if you can then wirelessly connect to the, to the camera in the room, to the speakers in the room, it's giving, you, it's giving you a lot of ease of use and it's taking away a lot of friction uh, for people. Mm. Yeah, I think it's all great news. Uh, we've, in terms of our returning to what we would expect a normal activity and normal opportunity for a marketplace. And I think kind of highlights or emphasizes that we return to growth in our industry. We return to investment in some of those physical spaces as our behaviors tend to return to what was prior. Uh, we dedicated a uh, macroeconomic report in uh, this year to that very topic of, you know, be careful to predict that this is it, that this it really is the new normal that we're stuck and we're staying right here with all remote work. Those of us that did that for a long time realize there's pros and cons. Uh, you, do get, you do get fatigue from that. I think the side of the business, just to, to flip over to Hannah for a moment, um, in terms of live events, I think clearly a, a little bit more challenging story there um, in, in terms of our ability to, our willingness to uh, return to more in-person events 
um, especially as in many parts of the world, the pandemic kind of rages on and we've got this, at the very least, a flatlining in, in the United States and, and perhaps other markets uh, or growing cases. So Hannah, talk, talk to us a little bit about that side of the business for you. We're, we were forecasting minus 20 plus percent revenues. We felt that some, the only reason it's not worse is perhaps because there is an emphasis on trying to go virtual, uh, extend out an event to new audiences. So how does Barco play into that? How does that fit into your planning and, and, and view of the market today? Well, um, as you say, we see quite some rental partners uh, changing and shifting their focus on uh, virtual events. Of course, even before COVID-19, we could already tell that the hybrid events were becoming more and more important in their offering, uh, where the streaming aspect became um, not yet as important as the onset experience, but still it was rising on importance. And obviously, due to all the restrictions on people gathering, um, the 100% virtual events are taking off. It depends a bit on the usual customers that our rental partners have. If they are used to working with a lot of corporations, uh, used to support their onset um, annual shareholder meetings, for example, then they are also the ones brought in to try and find a solution together to do this virtually. Um, other uh, rental partners who were more focusing on exhibitions, uh, car shows, uh, concerts, etc., more the artistic experience, these, um, it seems to be a bit more of a hurdle to, to shift their business uh, into those uh, hybrid and virtual uh, experiences. If you look at Barco, um, since we are both active in live events and in broadcast, um, you can actually tell that, that a virtual event is a bit of a mix and a merger of those two activities where uh, rental partners are shifting into more of a broadcast-like activity um, where they try to use whatever they already have uh, off the shelf and we try to support them as best as possible in these different applications. But as we already have a product offering that, that used to go into those different segments, it's a bit more I think business as usual for Barco than it is for our customers. Yeah, it's one of the theories that I've heard posited out there is because of this um, need to continue engaging, whether you're in an events business or if you're a corporate uh, events planner, uh, a marketer, etc., that perhaps we're looking at a time where more and more companies who would not have necessarily thought of themselves as broadcasters almost become broadcasters. Um, so you could see perhaps a, an increased investment in those capabilities and technologies as we go forward. Does that kind of fit the product planning and vision that you guys have as you look forward even to 2021? Does this have a tail to it? Is it just a short-term kind of phenomenon, this idea of now we need to re reach, or does it kind of stay and we, we need to uh, increase our technical capabilities even as corporate enterprises? Um, how do you see that kind of playing out as we go forward? Um, well, I do see this as, as having a tail, absolutely. Um, as, as they build this, this expertise and, and build the experience on, on how they have to do it, they also become better in it, more profitable at these type of activities. And it's also a nice way for them to diversify their operations. Um, and as our usual product offering already fits uh, those different activities, we can build further on that and uh, continue our roadmaps as it is, maybe with some shifting on and building in some more accents to facilitate 
better the usage in, in those virtual events, uh, for example. And if, if you think about um, broadcast and, and virtual events and live events, um, you see a lot more focus now on, on the pre-production side of things. Um, there's also a lot heavier control on the timing of the way the event flows. It feels a lot more like a TV show than, than an actual live event, um, which, is, which is good because we, um, as Bark was a whole in our different industries, you can usually find us where um, we call it a mission critical activity is going on, whether that's a control room or a boardroom or a live event or a broadcast environment. It's about how does your product um, behave under pressure and how reliable is it? And since this is usually where we go for and what we focus on during development, this also fits quite nicely into this uh, new activity. So Tim, what am I missing bringing you back into the conversation yeah. here? Some curious, curious points, I'm sure, on your side as well. Yeah, so for a couple of things, um, number one, and, and, and Levan, I'll start with you on this, and, and Sean, I want to bring you on, on this too. What what are you guys seeing as far as changing, uh, first of all, in, inside Barco, as a result of this pandemic? A uh, hundred years ago, uh, there was another one of these. A uh, hundred years ago, there was also you know a, a market crash here in the states that led to a, a vast you know, economic shift, those companies that survived those, those issues, those, those tragedies, they made fundamental changes in, internally as well as externally, not only products, but also processes and, and things that they, they focused on and they, they leveraged. Even what are you guys seeing inside Barco and the ability to uh, leverage your strengths to not only survive this, but also thrive out of this and help you and your customers? Yeah, well, I, I, I like to think of, uh, of, of the moment as sort of a flashpoint. Uh, and, and what I mean with this is that COVID-19 is, is like the point of ignition. And there was a lot of things already happening uh, in, in our marketplace, uh, but many of them got, got accelerated. And as always, uh, a moment of change uh, creates opportunities and it can shift certain dynamics in, uh, in, in the market. So that is that is how I look to how I look like to look at uh, at all of this. To me, a number of things that that were changing in Barco uh, or, or that I'm uh, observing. First of all, um, I think we're, we're further increasing our agility, and uh, agility was was something that was typically reserved to uh, to an R and D department who were uh, using the Scrum methodology. I have to say, I, I see agility in in every department of the company at the moment. Uh, Marketing, it's about agility because you cannot plan two, three months in ahead. Uh, you need to see what is happening. You need to react to it uh, and, and you need to be there. Same with uh, with everything that has to do with, for instance, customer support and so on. Uh, I mean, uh, you, you need to be there. You need to be uh, thinking about your processes because in many cases you can no longer go on site. So it, it's about stepping up uh, your remote support capabilities. Uh, same when it comes to training, for instance, we're, uh, we're upping everything that has to do with e-learning. And I could keep on going for, for quite some time here, but that is, that is the first element I would say. It's, it's getting this agile mindset into, into the company. And then next to that, uh, there, there's a high degree of, of empowerment in the sense that, uh, I mean, uh, as I said, Belgium is 50% in the office, US is not yet in the office. Uh, Asia is a mixed bag at the moment, uh, country from country changes. But so that means uh, 
there's a lot of remote work, there's a lot of home work as well. And this, this is turning out great, but you need to empower your people. You need to empower people to make decisions because otherwise uh, you, you cannot be quick enough. And so that means at moments there is, I'm not going to say less consultation and less coordination, but there is less, less, uh, less strict coordination, I would say. And, and that is also one of the ways for us to, uh, to, to, to help uh, weather uh, the pandemic, I'd say. All right. Hannah, um, right when it comes to the agility and the ability for you guys to, to kind of, you know, make sure that, that you are, um, you know, adjusting not only marketing, but also products. The one thing, though, that I, I have learned over, over the years of covering this industry is, is the product roadmap. Uh, product roadmaps can vary anywhere between 12 and, quite frankly, 24 months, sometimes 36 months. So it's not like you could have said, hey, you know what, if this thing's happening in March, let's throw something out there in June, right? Because that's not going to happen. So what, do you, what can you guys do as you, know, as you are kind of developing and evolving a product, something like this does happen. Not necessarily changing the product, but as they even said, from a marketing standpoint, change how you're helping your clients and quite frankly, their clients to realize the capabilities of a specific product. Let's take projection, for example, right? Yes, we've evolved the projection into projection mapping. It's a piece of art now, but let it helping your customers and their customers re-realize the full capabilities or maybe capabilities that no one ever imagined during this pandemic. Um, well, there are a couple of things. As you said, um, the, the product roadmap, if you're developing hardware, can be quite long. However, there's no such thing as hardware only anymore. There's always a software layer on top. Yeah. And with that roadmap, you do have some more flexibility to shift things around and change the focus and priorities based on the things that are happening outside in the world. Um, so that's one thing that we did do. Um, on the other hand, as you say, um, it's a matter of thinking about the use cases, interviewing customers, understanding what they're going through, the shifts they can make in their business and how our products can help them do that. Um, for example, with projection, actually projection mapping is a very good example because we did put more focus onto that because it's, um, it's an activity that can happen outside where people can keep their distances. So we've actually seen an increase in projection mapping projects also to support the healthcare workers. There has been in all countries a lot of um, very nice initiatives to, to, put, um, to put more focus and attention to that, usually by uh, projection mapping. So we, we did actually do an, an ebook and some white papers to show them how does it work. People who've never done it before support them to show them how it can be done and how they can shift their business to those things that are happening out at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a number of, of initiatives all throughout Europe and, and even here in the States for, for the Red Alert for the live staging and events uh, industry and making sure that folks understand exactly that these people not only are, are um, you know, hurting, but also that they can be used and leveraged you know, in, in every, different areas. Sean, when you talk with, yes. with manufacturers and you talk with, you know, you guys are doing the research here, what are you seeing from other manufacturers the, the ability to kind of reposition themselves and helping, you know, the, main, the, the dealers, the, the integrators kind of, you know, re reimagine products that are already existing. Yeah. It's the agility message is certainly one that resonates very well with just everything that you're hearing. Of course, in this period, 
what I love, what I love about um, what, what we're kind of talking about today and, and kind of the, the environment that we're in is we're, as we're saying, a lot of these trends, a lot of these drivers existed before the pandemic. They were things that we were in some cases experimenting with or uh, starting to move towards, whether it's in the live event space, the, the need or the desire to extend the life of the content out beyond just the time and place of it to and to reach to engage audiences that are not not present that was clearly there of course we that gets put on steroids when uh, when nothing can happen and we're all pushed remote uh, same thing with remote learning and um, collaboration with both on-prem or or off-site employees so all that sort of stuff was kind of there but what it means is when you're forced uh, into this full adaptation mode companies that were further along that path and had, of course, manufacturers, distributors, et cetera, channel partners that could support them along that path will fare better. Others that were, um, say, more rooted in, in uh, traditional technologies, hadn't yet adapted, hadn't built skills, it becomes a challenge for them. And, and certainly, we hate to see it, uh, selfishly, even as an association, these are our members that we care about and, and who help us uh, stay viable as an organization. You see some of them uh, fall by the wayside. We hope that it's a Phoenix story and that in some cases it's companies that restructured themselves, um, you know, emerge from this, reskill, retool, buy new partners and emerge from it. Uh, but I think it's a, it's a key message in that is solidarity in the channel and supporting each other. I think the, the good thing about where we are uh, and makes it somewhat even more unprecedented than in times past is there is government structures too that are trying to rush in to fill the gap. We can all discuss, of course, how there should be more or less or more focused in some areas, but certainly um, those initial um, programs really did help some of our companies to be able to bridge the gap, at least from that initial phase to when projects start to come back online and, and uh, some regions open up, some capabilities open up. But no doubt about it, that agility and creative partnership um, is is a key to this. I am I'm curious how you know manufacturing distributors are in an interesting position too. They offer, obviously offer the the physical solutions uh, that the companies will be rolling out to the market too. But we'd already been talking about AV as a service and managed services and those sorts of things prior. And so you wonder too what's possible from a manufacturer, a distributor, and a channel partner perspective in this new environment. I'm curious from the Barco perspective too, are you seeing increased demand for those kinds of services um, as we go forward and as, as companies look for creative financing options or long, uh, long range revenue opportunities um, from what has become a very different model of sale? Uh, hopefully one that's more of a, a, a longitudinal relationship and not just a transactional installation as we may have in the past. So I guess I can throw that back to, to Levin and Hannah yeah. to talk about the, that side. Yeah, well, I, I think it's, it's, it's probably two different views because if, if I look at my segment in, in workplace, uh, yes, there is growing demand for, for as a service. And uh, I mean, it's, it's typically handled by, uh, by the integrators and by the resellers who, who are offering this to, to their customers. But this is a trend uh, that, that was already there before COVID. So this one is just continuing step by step. And it's, it's not that all of a sudden uh, there, there's like 50% more ask for, for 
as a service. So it's, it's a gradual process. It keeps on continuing, but it, it has more to do in workplace with, with the customer. If a customer wants an on-premise solution, he will get an on-premise solution. If a customer is ready to move to the cloud, the customer will move to the cloud. And this is something that you cannot enforce. And the same is true for, uh, for their preference when it, when it comes to uh, buying equipment. Whether they go for a CAPEX model, whether they go for an OPEX model, it's entirely down to, to their preference. But I understand, Hanna, in, in your world, this is a bit different, right? Uh, yes, it is. Um, and indeed, Sean, as you also uh, painstakingly explained in one of the reports on live events, it's quite a complex uh, flow of uh, equipment and uh, money in, in that environment with uh, renting and buying and investing cycles. Um, so the ones who, who prefer not to invest uh, and make capital investments, they, uh, they usually have already the opportunity in some countries to rent from other parties. Um, and you can tell there's actually quite some, some differences between the different regions, whereas in the US and Europe, larger distributors take on that role and uh, foresee the, the availability of, of uh, equipment being available for rent. Whereas in China and Asia Pacific, it's a lot more difficult um, because of the different uh, way those countries have been set up and those uh, live events partners are working. Um, if I look at actual, um, our own partners there in the past was not that much um, requests about anything that was not CAPEX because that's how they handle their fleet and their fleet optimization. Now, I do think for some um, products such as our, our reconnect uh, system that we are bringing into the live events market, which allows to bring in live audiences, that's a pay-per-use model. And I think if we would have tried that uh, two years ago, it might have been a bit frowned upon because they're not used to that recurring um, fee going on. But now we can see it's appreciated that they can avoid any CAPEX at the moment and uh, use an OPEX instead. So I do think uh, for live events, COVID-19 made some changes in the expectations of our customers. Yeah, As we wrap up here, guys, I want, I want, you, I want to get your, your two cents and, and kind of advice, something that, that Sean uh, alluded to. There are some manufacturers and, and you know some some integrators who were left a little bit flat-footed during during this, right? They they were not quite prepared for this, mainly because sometimes they're they're, they're more hardware focused. Leaving you guys had the um, the foresight, I guess, but not that you saw this coming. But you know, earlier this year, you Barco was specifically the the ClickShare product line did start moving towards the wireless, right? You you did start you know um, unveiling and. Uh, and revealing that 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 next generation that didn't that didn't require um, the, the physical hardware for for me to touch right yes there's a back end version but that is also very much software driven what advice would you give to someone who is you know sitting in their office in a, in a, in a manufacturing facility going you know what this this is not going to go away anytime soon I've got to evolve I have to develop I've got to change what's the first step how do you go to a software driven model if you've only been hardware for so many years uh i, I wouldn't call it going into a software model i would call it how do you go from from one day to the next sort of overnight how do you move to to hybrid working 
I think that is that is the key question that that is keeping a lot of people actually awake at night. Uh, and as I mean, ima- imagine a situation if if you just equipped a, a room uh, with with proprietary equipment. If you are completely locked in, then indeed it it can cause you a lot of nightmares. So the number one rule is there: uh, go in with with some flexibility. Think about uh, I mean, overnight our habits changed. So who says this cannot happen again two three years from now? So my recommendation here is just bring in the flexibility, and and that is what we see a lot of people doing. And your room tomorrow, I mean, if you already have USB cameras, if you already have a screen or a projector, uh, just add a ClickShare conference to it. You can turn everything wireless, and that is ultimately what this is about. People, they have the experience, they have it of doing the conferences from their laptop. There is no way they're going to come back in, get acquainted with other interfaces, start uh, learning how to use different touch panels. No, they want to continue this experience. So just enable it. Make them come in. All they got to do is they walk into the room, they plug in the ClickShare button, and everything is wirelessly available. And they can use their Zoom, their WebEx, their Teams, whatever they want to use for a conference. So... My recommendation, take away all those frictions and uh, you're going to see your number of service tickets drop. All right. Very good. That'll be a good place to stop. Thank you very all so much. Uh, Hannah, very nice to meet you. Uh, Hannah Page uh, from Barco. Uh, how do people get a hold of you if they are so inclined and they want to find out more about the entertainment segment of Barco? Uh, they're always welcome to visit our website or drop me an email. That's firstname.lastname at barco.com. All right. And that's Hannah, H-A-N-N-E. Uh, for you, for you Americans, uh, so, Levin. Thank you, sir, as always. Uh, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, at com or just reach out to me via on LinkedIn or via Twitter. Happy to uh, to engage. Uh, any question you may have, whether it's on what's happening in the workplace, what we are seeing happening, whether it's about, about the product, we're there to help you. All right, very good. Thank you, sir. Mr. Wargo, thank you, sir. Uh, how do people get a hold of you and Avixa? Not that they don't know, but but just for clarification. Yeah, absolutely. Feel free to reach out to me via email swargo at avixa.org. Uh, tweet us as well, uh, hashtag Avixa Intel to start a conversation with us. We'd love to hear your feedback about what you're hearing today in terms of your own individual perspective so we can keep the dialogue going and, and uh, emerge better than before uh, through the pandemic. All right. Thank you all so much for us, for AV Nation. Go by our website, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You'll find programs like this as and a host of others, including two weekly programs. One looks at the commercial side of the AV industry called AV Week. The other looks at the residential side, Resi Week, uh, post Monday and Wednesday, respectively. All that and more at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. That's all the time we have for AV Insights. AV Insights.